0: Food, water, shelter, and nesting are all vital to attracting birds to your backyard. Multiple food sources are also helpful. Shop a wide variety of feeders, waterers, and bird food at Blaine's Farm and Fleet to keep your feathered friends happy and healthy all year long. I think all of us are getting a little frustrated with this weather. (laughs) Not just farmers, but even people that had hoped to have their garden well on its way by now. And what about your lawn? That's something you're probably staring out the window at every day, wondering what's going on there. Well, let's get an answer. Doug Soldat's in studio with us. He's one of our university extension researchers that works in the turf area specifically. I got to imagine that you guys that are trying to uh, follow up on some projects or get some projects started. Research-wise, you've got to be getting a little frustrated with this too.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's been a slow start. Usually, we're we're worried about being behind because Mother Nature's too quick for us. But now it's like, come on, you know, let's get going. The, we are doing some new winter kill studies, so that's nice. So, you know, studying how to reseed areas that have been killed by winter, and that's a perfect year for that.
0: Yeah. Well, how how dominant is winter kill? I mean, for some reason, I always assume that the hybrid varieties and all that are constantly improving on vigor and things like that. Are we, is it a hit or miss situation still with winter kill on our grass?
1: Yeah, really, it really is regional and localized. And the, the main issue is ice cover. And so maybe every, in Southern Wisconsin, t- every 10 years we might get it. So we, it's not like it happens a lot, but when you get it, it's bad. Right,
0: right. Yeah. And now let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Assuming Maybe I did have a patch that got killed out or something like that. Do I have to completely rip it up, Doug, what are the procedures if I just realize it's dead? It's gone. I got to start again.
1: yeah, two two good options for this. So like if you have dog kill spots, yeah. real, real common, size of a dinner plate or larger, I like to totally renovate those. So scrape away all the dead, brown tissue, um loosen the soil. It's good if you can bring in some new soil put your sprinkle your seeds down i like perennial ryegrass for that and then cover it with a, a straw or a paper mulch step on it get good seed to soil contact and that should be ready to go in a couple weeks
0: am i correct if i'm starting whether it's the winter kill patch or whether I'm starting something new, I've always heard that water, 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 making sure that there's plenty of water available to get that germ started and then just coax it along.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's why this is a good time to do it because we usually don't have the drought yet. There's usually enough moisture in the soil. There's not a lot of evaporation. So the other way, uh, if you're going to do a large-scale renovation, is use a slit seeder. So that is a machine that will cut slits uh, in 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 the soil. You drop your seed in. And then uh, the grass will start springing up. Is there anything like autotoxicity toxicity
0: with uh, grass? I mean, that's something, for example, alfalfa and that type of thing. We've got to watch. Uh, is there any concerns about that previous thatch suffocating out any new blades?
1: Yeah. You what you want to if you're going to reseed an area and there's some existing vegetation, the best thing to do is kill it off mm-hmm. first, and then uh, and wait for it to really get soft and dead. The other thing you can do is seed into existing stuff that maybe you don't want to kill is just set your mower to the absolute lowest setting and and just, we call that scalping it. So just scalp it down and then slit seed into it.
0: If you're just joining us, this is Doug Soldat. He's one of our university extension turfgrass specialists. And believe you me, maybe we should give people a little update on what's going on with turfgrass research. You guys are quite the dream team when it comes to turf grass research in the upper Midwest. I mean, we think of turf grass research uh, farther south, the golf courses, et cetera, but you guys got a pretty good thing going here for Wisconsin too, don't you? Yeah,
1: we, we really do. We have a really supportive turf grass industry. Uh, the university has historically supported the program. We got one of the best research facilities in the Midwest, in the OJ Nora Turfgrass Research Facility in Verona.
0: Let's talk a little bit about how the industry has been ebbing and flowing. You know, every time you turn around, you see new residential uh, homesteads, uh, neighborhoods being built, you know, at a time when labor's still tight. What about supply shortages, supply chain issues for you guys? Tell me a little bit of what, about what you're hearing from the industry.
1: Oh, it is crazy. The pandemic, all this work from home stuff, people started paying attention to their lawns. You couldn't buy lawnmowers. All that stuff was sold out, and then all the seed got bought up. And so the supply chain issues were. And continue to be a challenge. So it's hard to find seed these days and some sometimes even hard to find equipment. So it's really boomed. It's really taken off. And people are golfing, you know, and it's like go- the golf memberships are up. So there's it's, there's a ton it's of more interest in, in turf grass these days. It's fun. That's
0: all right. That's excellent. You know, know. Okay. So let me talk then about, let's say I'm going to, uh, do something special with my lawn, add more lawn, something like that. You mentioned the seed situation. One thing I don't pe- I don't know if people realize, they might want to pay attention to that bag of seed. Wisconsin has a unique growing climate that not all seed bags have been packed for. Can you give us a primer, Doug, on what we need to think about when we're trying to select that seed to maybe get a new patch growing?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good consideration. So... The, the, the cheapest is usually kind of scary. So you, you might look at some of these prices, five, six, $7 a pound, and say, that's a lot of money. I can buy this stuff for $2 a pound. Chances are the cheaper stuff might be varieties like annual ryegrass. You don't want that, it's going to die. Um, le- the best grasses for most Wisconsin lawns will be a combination of Kentucky bluegrass and fine fescues. Um, tall fescue is another one that we're seeing in mixtures uh it can be good if it's a hundred percent tall fescue but i wouldn't buy it to patch grass with and i wouldn't buy it if it's only if it's less than eighty percent so um fine fescue is chewings fescue red fescue sheep's fescue hard fescue i really like those and then one final tip here when you're looking at the flip it over look at the fine print and it'll tell you the variety so say the species And then you look for a named variety. If it says VNS, that means a variety not stated. That means you're getting bottom-of-the-barrel stuff. So pay a little bit more. Look for those fine fescues and Kentucky bluegrasses for best Wisconsin lawn. Well, it's going to it'll make a difference. It'll definitely make a difference. Good. Now
0: let's talk also about something we have a tendency to do in the spring of the year. I want to get it started now, Doug. I want it to look beautiful now. Bring on the fertilizer. Tell me a little bit about how you caution people, especially with the erratic weather that Wisconsin's been seeing lately, between the temperatures and the unknown amount of rain that can be coming through. How do you
1: how do you coach them up on fertilizer. Yeah. So this one's a little bit hard for people to swallow because the best time to think about fertilizing your lawn is when you're thinking about winter coming in fall. And so uh, the, if you're going to fertilize one time a year, you should do it around Labor Day. And that provides fertility through the fall and enough to kick you into gear the next spring. But most people think, oh well, yeah, we get excited in the spring. That's when we want to get. But right now, the only thing that I would be thinking about here in in late April, early May is crabgrass prevention. If you got a history with crabgrass, I really like to prevent that stuff because it it, yeah. it it creates bare soil, all kinds of problems. So that timing is now when the forsythia bushes are in full bloom. Um, you really don't want to think about your first fertilizer application until Memorial Day. So if you look, when the grass starts to green up everywhere, even areas that don't get fertilized, it's bright green, and it'll it'll retain that greenness into usually about mid-May. And that's when you start to lose that green color from the early spring. That's when you want to think about fertilizing.
0: I get a little concerned, though, when I see uh, some folks that are very zealous about that fertilizer, and they might be out there with a push spreader, or maybe we're going to just free pour. We're going to just take a handful and sling it around. You know, I try to remind them that anything that gets washed off or isn't used ends up ultimately in our storm sewer system. That turns into algae blooms, just like where you point the finger at farmers. Have you ever done like a comparison or try to help them understand the the rate of fertilizer they may put on their lawn, Doug, versus the fertilizer that a farmer puts on strategically on fields?
1: Yeah, it turns out that the rates are, if you follow university recommendations for a lawn, the amount of nitrogen you put down is in the ballpark with what a farmer might do for corn. And so just like a, a farmer's paying attention to the weather and the, and, and the timings, that you want to do that as a homeowner too. And so um, university recommendations are two to three fertilizer applications per year and we call it the holiday schedule, so Memorial Day, Labor Day, uh, and Fourth of July. And if you're going to skip one, Fourth of July is probably one that you can you can leave behind if everything's looking good or if everything's brown. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that,
0: too, I'm sure, as the year unfolds. So I'm back to what we're living with now, cold, wet. Does that set us up for any diseases, Doug? Are there any weaknesses that you want people to kind of keep an eye on? If we're putting these plants under this kind of stress, and now it's Wisconsin, so by the next time I see you, we could be still in the front part of May and suddenly eighty degrees. But given this cold, wet business, do you have any concerns about uh, you know uh, disease-related issues that could develop?
1: Yeah, there's a few cold season diseases that, but not nothing that really warrants treatment. So some one really weird one is called red thread. Where you see these like r- red threads coming right out of the leaf, and it looks like the weirdest stuff you've ever seen. Um, just wait; with temperatures become warmer, things dry out. You'll mow it off, and it'll go away. So that's one of the beauties. Like if you get a disease on a, you know, a tree or a bush, those leaves aren't regenerated. But with a lawn, it's constantly growing new leaves, and so a lot of the diseases or all the diseases that we get on lawns, the solution is usually just proper care and time, and it'll it'll grow out of it.
0: Okay, you're going to send, settle a domestic discussion that I have about mowing, yeah. you know? Okay, so there's a philosophy of wait, let it grow, get a little longer. Um, I might buy that for the first round in my yard, and then I get anxious, then I want it to look nice, and I have a tendency to want that blade to be dropped down a little bit. Settle it for me, Doug. What are the guidelines when it comes to starting? You, you know, once you start, then you don't stop. Tell me about cutting my lawn and what I have to think about.
1: Yeah, the, one of the most important rules we have in, in turf grass management is called the one-third rule. And it says uh, don't remove more than one-third of the tissue at any one time. So if you're mowing your lawn at two inches, that means you can allow it to grow up to three inches before you hit it back. Um, as general guidelines, we like to see lawns mown above two and a half inches. Um after you can, you, you can certainly some mowers go up to like four inches these days, um, the higher you go, the more root depth you get, it's generally better and you get fewer weeds, but some people, and maybe like you just don't want a four inch lawn. You yeah. want something a little shorter, but so I'm going to say, go down to two and a half inches, follow the one third rule and you'll have a have a good, healthy lawn.
0: All right. That's all right. That's what we're looking forward to. Doug Soldat in studio with us. He's a university extension turfgrass specialist. Like I said, Wisconsin's got a dream team of those researchers right there at the OJ Knorr turfgrass facility on the west side of Madison. We'll be talking with them through the growing season to give you more tips on how you can take care of that lawn. From the southern end of the world's longest barn in Madison, I'm Farm Director Pam Yankee. Food, water, shelter, and nesting are all vital to attracting birds to your backyard. Multiple food sources are also helpful. Shop a wide variety of feeders, waterers, and bird food at Blaine's Farm and Fleet to keep your feathered friends happy and healthy all year long.